Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Hi, my name is Jonathan Morrow, and I'm the director of cultural engagement and student discipleship here at Impact 360 Institute. There may not be a bigger issue facing us right now than how our screens and how social media is affecting us and our worldview and those of whom we care about and are trying to equip in the faith. And that's why I want to talk about three ways to guard your heart and mind in a culture of social media outrage. And I want to start with a quote uh, where Jonathan Haidt puts it this way. He says, we are easily lured into this new gladiatorial circus, even when we know that it can make us cruel and shallow. And I don't know if you felt like that before, but I have where I've, you know, I find myself scrolling through a feed or thinking about uh, kind of what's going on or what's being said. And I'm tempted to do or say things on that like, wait, wait, hold on. Where, where did that come from? And yet we see the people coming at each other and disagreeing and having all of these, it's hard to even call them conversations, monologues on social media. And so what do we do with all that? And how do we avoid being drawn into that as Christ followers? Well, as a part of our discipleship, what we want to do and what I want to start us thinking about this morning is how do we bring that under the submission to the Lordship of Jesus and how do we increase our ability to follow Jesus in this digital world? I'm reminded by a passage of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2, which is foundational for all Christ followers. And he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, it's so important that we recognize that we are constantly being shaped by the world around us, and we're called not to conform to those ways of thinking or doing or being. We're called to transform and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And not only that, but we also need to recognize that we inhabit a post-Christian space today among this generation and, as we see, the trend line of previous generations. We had the opportunity here at Impact 360 to do a study in partnership with the Barna Group where we track the worldview of this generation as well as uh, what are the beliefs and motivations shaping them. But we mapped this out in over 20 to 25 years across Barna's data. We see that boomers, about 10% had a biblical worldview. Gen X, about 7% had a biblical worldview. Millennials, about 6%. And then Gen Z, current teenagers, 4% have a biblical worldview. So it's more important now than ever that all of us renew our minds and not be conformed to what seems normal and natural to the world around us. And not only do we need to renew our minds, we also need to watch over our hearts, right? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. We are called to make sure we watch over what gets in here and what gets in here. And with as much time as we spend on our machines, on our social media, on our screens, that's a lot of time to be watching over. And so we want to be diligent and vigilant about that as Christ followers. So what I want to do briefly this morning then is share three ways for us to guard our hearts and minds in a culture of social media outrage. And as we do this, I want to define a couple of key terms because it's really important that we see these things and we think well and think carefully as Christ followers as we try to live this out. First is this idea of culture. 
Culture can be kind of a big word, but a simple definition is simply this. Culture is what you come to find is normal without having to think about it. And culture can be good and it can be bad, but it will seem normal. Whether that's in a family, a workplace, uh, your store, your office, your church, wherever that might be, there is a way things are that seems normal. And that's just a good way to understand what culture is. And that's constantly being shaped, as we'll see. Another thing we need to understand is there are three forces, three normalizing forces in culture. And this is really helpful because as Christ followers, we have to understand that these aspects are always in play as well. And they're institutions, ideas, and artifacts. So what's an institution? Institutions are like government, education, the church, law, the courts, the family. Those would be institutions. Those shape culture. Those normalize culture. Also, we see ideas are shaping forces in culture. Those normalize culture as well. So the idea that all people are created equal is an idea. That gets embedded in things. Also, that truth is discovered, not created. That would be an idea. And then the difference between what true freedom is. Is freedom just the ability to do what I want? Or is freedom the ability to do as I opt. Well, those are two different ideas, right? But those can become seen as normal depending upon how they're expressed in any cultural moment, right? And lastly, artifacts. Artifacts are any of those things that people, human beings, image bearers, make and do with the stuff of the world. And that can be something like a light bulb, a car, a computer, right? A phone, a chicken sandwich, maybe innovations in a drive-through line, right? That help people come to see certain things as normal. Also, Netflix or Twitter, those are artifacts of culture. Um, also, the reality of maybe releasing a blockbuster movie straight to a streaming device, that's an artifact of culture. But what we need to understand is all of these things, institutions, ideas, and artifacts are constantly shaping us and shaping everything around us. And social media would fit in that category of artifacts, okay? So if culture is what we come to find as normal without having to think about it, then what we're seeing then is social media, in some ways, is normalizing a way of viewing the world. And that's very important for us as Christ followers to understand because, again, remember Romans 12, 2, we're called to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we're called to Proverbs 4, 23, watch over our hearts with all diligence. All right? So what are those three ways? First, recognize that social media is not neutral. Sometimes you'll hear it said in a conversation where people say, well, look, it's just neutral. It's just how you use it. And that's not actually true because social media constantly shapes us, right? It's not neutral. And one of the things that we need to recognize is that we are all social now. You know, it's fascinating. Sociologists talk about this and they have tracking surveys that document this. But you see the massive growth from 2000 to 2019 to where now 72% of Americans are using at least one social media platform. So that means everybody almost is online. And in light of this age of COVID-19, we're even more online than we have been ever before, right? So we just need to recognize that. But if social media is not neutral, and I want to make the argument that it's not, we also need to recognize that social media is not just a tool either. Because that little device you hold in your hand, maybe you're watching this, this devotion on it right now, um, honestly should come with a little sign, a little, little welcome message. You know, if you've ever had to reset your phone, it says hello, and then you kind of program it. Well, it should also say, hello, how can I shape you today? 
Because that little device is an artifact of culture that's shaping how you see the world, how you learn to relate to people, and it normalizes how you think and the way you relate, all without you or me having to think about it. That's the power of culture, okay? And what we see is when we think about the next generation especially, is 50% would admit, Common Sense Media, according to one of their studies, feel addicted to mobile devices. That's not someone speaking on their behalf. That's just saying, hey, yeah, I feel addicted. And if we're all honest, I think we could all probably give a hearty echo and an amen to that as well, right? There's a lot of sense of, okay, I'm, I can't get off this thing. Um, Cornell researcher put it this way, if you wanted to create an environment to churn out really angsty people, we've done it. They're in a cauldron of stimulus they can't get away from or don't want to get away from or don't know how to get away from. And haven't you felt all of those where simultaneously this device makes something really good possible, like a text message from your child or your spouse or a friend, or it helps you navigate somewhere and get there on time, but it also, you're bombarded by notifications and anxiety and stress and all these emotions, right? All of it all at once. You can't feel like you can put it down and you keep picking it up, all of those things. Well, one of the reasons why is because it's not neutral and it's shaping us. Now, what's fascinating is Kevin Kelly in his book, The Inevitable, uh, founder of Wired Magazine, made an observation that's very important for us to understand. He says this, we are morphing so fast that our ability to invent new things outpaces the rate we can civilize them. Let that sink in. Do you feel like culture is moving a little fast? Your family life, your friends, work, everything else? Who has the time to civilize all of these new things that happen? Well, that applies to social media as well. And to really understand what happened, we need to take a look back at how the years of between 2009 and 2012 changed everything when it came to social media. See, up until then, Facebook was really just a place where you might share um, something with your friends or family, some things you like, some pictures, things like that. But all of that changed in 2009. And this is some observations from Jonathan Haidt and Tobias Rose Stockwell that I wanted to highlight here. But the first thing that happened for the very first time in 2009 was a public metric, the like button. And for the first time ever, you could give approval to something that someone shared. And it started out as well-intentioned, right? Hey, well, cool. Your friends and family, they want to like something. Like button. Click. Okay. But remember, social media is not neutral. And culture is what you come to find as normal without having to think about it. So for the first time, you now have a public metric tracking those things. Okay? Second, you have the frictionless spread of content. Right? The retweet button. See, before then, you had to copy and paste things before you could share them. Now you can take ideas mediated through an artifact and get them to everyone immediately, okay? So that begins to change the dynamics of what these things are and what they're doing to us. So you get a public, basically, approval meter that's baked into the process where people are voting on your stuff, and now you have this frictionless way you can spread content. But also up until this point, if you had a lot of friends or followers, then you saw literally everything in your feed, and it was like a fire hydrant. So they tried to solve that with a problem. Hey, let's build an engagement algorithm. What could possibly go wrong with that? Well, a lot, as we'll see in a minute. But basically what this began to do is it began to narrow what actually gets served up to you in your feed. 
right? And so there was an inventory, there's signals, there's predictions, and you actually got scored in algorithms. Now, just a real quick note, and as Christians, we're called to think Christianly about everything in life, and that includes even algorithms that affect us, right? And what that means is algorithms aren't neutral either. They're programmed to with certain inputs and outputs to do certain things, okay? And as we'll see, artificial intelligence, AI, gets involved in that process as well. So you had the public metric, you've got the frictionless spread of content, and then you've got the engagement algorithm, and then Facebook also adds the share button. So that on both of those platforms, Twitter and Facebook, you now have those going on. But that wasn't complete because at the end of 2012, guess what changed? It wasn't just about the ability to share something I like with my friends, my family. It was now monetized. And now you and I become the product to the highest bidder based on public metrics, sharing tools, engagement algorithms. So that changed the game. And what happened then is, is all of these well-intentioned, honestly, things that probably started at the beginning began to shape us in ways and honestly prepared us for what we're seeing happen and play out in our culture today. Because other things like news and truth and all these other things began to be dealt with in the same normalized process by these tools, these artifacts that began shaping us, right? Now also along the way, from 2012 to the present, you've got AI, which learns as it goes, and it takes all of these behavioral assumptions and data and information about all of us that we are freely sharing all the time, and it predicts and builds models. So it gets really good at manipulating us. And yes, I said manipulating us because that's the goal. We're the product, and we're being sold to the highest bidder when it comes to those ads and various things like that on social media. And if you want to see this powerfully played out and visualized in a way, there's a brand new documentary that's on Netflix. It is PG-13, so you want to use some discretion watching it. But it's called The Social Dilemma. And it actually dives into and visualizes a lot of this to help you see some of these things that changed to give us insight into how we're being affected by these things. But perhaps the biggest thing we need to understand is, is that social media is now scripting reality for us. In a prophetic book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman put it this way. He said, television, and insert Netflix, Hulu, right, YouTube, television is our culture's principal mode of knowing about itself. Therefore, and this is the crucial point or the critical point, how television stages the world becomes the model for how the world is properly to be staged. What does that mean? It means we're constantly being shown and framed how to see relationships, conversations, how to deal with people who disagree with all of those things all at once. And that's constantly going on in our culture. We need to be aware of that. And in reality, worldviews are shaped subtly and incrementally over time through what we consume until a paradigm shift occurs. So it's these tiny little slight modifications in our worldview. This explains sometimes why our young people, why our sons and daughters or students, over time, there's these little invisible changes and then a big change will happen all at once. Well, those are things that have maybe been shifting all along or perhaps ourselves as well. So the first thing is, is to, we got to realize that social media is not neutral. If we're going to be a, a Christ follower who understands not how to be, how to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Second, reject the us versus them paradigm. This is so important. We are being trained and scripted and normalized to see the world through only the lens of us versus them. That's why I love uh, this book. This is a book called The Third Option by Miles McPherson. 
It's a powerful book where he's addressing issues of racism, which is so critical, but he's also applying this broadly as well. And I love the way he puts this because this is so applicable to us as Christ followers. Culture pits one group of people against another by promoting a zero-sum game mentality that says, you must lose in order for me to win. God, however, uses and offers us a third option that stands in stark contrast to the two offered by culture. God's third option invites us to honor that which we have in common, the presence of His image in every person we meet. When we honor the presence of His image in others, we acknowledge their priceless value as precious and beloved of God. The third option empowers us to see people through God's eyes, which enables us to treat them in a manner that honors the potential of His image in us. And it's so important for us as Christ followers to start with that foundation and not fall into that us versus them trap. But we also must be careful not to fall into what's called the false tolerance trap either. Because tolerance has fallen on hard times these days. It's been misunderstood because tolerance is now understood as agreement. That's not what tolerance is. Tolerance is the idea that all people are equal, but all ideas and behaviors are not equal. Some ideas are better than others, true or false, and some behaviors correspond to reality or are good design or they don't, right? So we don't want to fall into that trap of relativizing everything in the name of tolerating and loving our neighbor as well. So we don't want to fall into the us versus them trap, but we also don't want to fall into the false tolerance trap either. So here's some questions. Let's make this really practical. How do I and how do you and me and together as we do this not fall into this trap? Well, we can ask ourselves some questions before we post online. Am I building up or tearing down with this? This is straight out of Ephesians 4.29, right? Let nothing unwholesome come out of our mouths, only what is useful for building another up. So what is my goal with this? To build up, tear down, right? That's important. Second, if I was sitting across from this person, would I say what I just said online? Like, would I say this in person? Or if I'm about to retweet something, would I, would I print something off and drop it on their desk, right? So maybe that's a good way to think about what we do when we share content in a certain way. Next, am I posting this out of fear, anger, or insecurity? That's just kind of good self-check for us. Like, what's internally going on before I engage in these ways? Because remember, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then everything I do needs to be brought into and under the lordship of Jesus, right? So how do I do that well? Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, a man speaks, right? Next, have I tried to understand the other person's point of view? This is so important in our day now more than ever. Even at the end of the day, if you disagree, have I at least tried to be charitable in the way that I understood or interpreted what has been posted or seen? Have I recognized that, you know, you know reality is a little more complex than what can be shared on Twitter, right, or, or in a timeline, right? And so have I, have I tried to understand? I may not agree at the end of the day, but that also dignifies the other person and humanizes them in the process. And lastly, am I, am I attacking the person when I should be critiquing the ideas? Be really careful when you post not to go after people. Rather, okay, if this is an idea, is that a good idea, a bad idea? Is it consistent with God's word? Is it going to lead to flourishing, right? Is it going to lead to the common good or public good? Those are all good questions we can ask, okay? So we need to reject us versus them thinking. And then finally, number three, reclaim your attention. Reclaim your attention. I'm reminded of a great scene of Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings, um, in which uh, Wormtongue has really bewitched uh, King Theoden. 
and Gandalf comes in and, and breaks him out of this slumber. But until then, this powerful king, without realizing it, has been bewitched into losing all of his power, all of his influence, and the ability to do good. And I think in many ways, that's what's happening to a lot of us on our social media. And our attention is being stolen, and therefore that's shaping us as we go, but just the amount of time, but then it's just, it's got our attention. And we need to develop the ability to say no to some things. And as we'll see, because we already have learned that social media is not neutral, we're being conditioned to see things in certain ways as normal, because our phones and all those great updates that you know Apple gives us and everything else, they aren't meant only for our, our, our blessing. They're meant to make things easier to engage and use more of, right? And so in some ways, we have to get better at walking away from temptation. You ever been past the hot donuts now, Krispy Kreme, right? You ever been one of these things? These are our notifications. These little warm, sugary donuts. You can taste them right now. It's probably breakfast time. But we got to learn to say no to this. And we have to maybe enlist help or just turn off the ability for that little hot donut sign to show up on our phone and let us know that a new notification is there that's screaming for our attention. So very practically, I want to ask a few questions of us as followers of Jesus. Which notifications do you need to turn off? Now notice I didn't frame the question do you need to turn off notifications? No, I said, which ones, basically, which ones need to stay on? Not many, if any at all, right? Because we want to be in control of our attention. And all these great devices, which can be helpful, are designed to keep our attention and eventually monetize our attention as well. And that helps us miss out on the very things we think and say would matter most, right? Our family, our friends, doing good, all of those kind of things. So which notifications do you need to turn off? Second, is there an app you need to delete? Very practical. Like, is there just one, even for a season? I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit will bring that to mind. Third, is there anyone you need to unfollow? It's just not really healthy for you to be consuming how they're talking or what they're saying right now. And you know what? I just need to unfollow them either for a season or, you know what? I probably need to be done with that. And then lastly, is there a screen time limit you need to set? On Apple and also with Google devices or whatever you might have, there's going to be a way that you can limit some screen time. It'd be good to build in some of those things so that we're not a victim of what we come to find as normal without having to think about it and we can get our attention back and put it on the things that matter most because we want to steward that and we want to live our lives and not be passive observers in a social media feed. That's not a way to live. <laughs> Life is much bigger and better than that. And lastly, the most powerful app on your phone is this one. Turn it off every now and again, right? Just, just the practice the discipline of turning off the phone. So we've talked about how social media is not neutral. We've talked about how culture is what you come to see as normal without having to think about it. We've talked about different normalizing factors in culture, from institutions to ideas that get embedded in artifacts and how those shape us. Those are social media and tools and phones. And we've talked about how we need to resist this us versus them thinking and go with a third option way of thinking on this and ask ourselves some questions. And lastly, we need to reclaim our attention because that will help us at the end of the day to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, what everyone else sees as normal. And by the way, Christian, and I'm saying this to me too, it's okay for us to seem abnormal for the right reasons, for biblical reasons. And we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right, And then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
and we'll be able to watch over our hearts with all diligence because we know that from it flow the springs of life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are a good Father. Lord, thank you for sending your Son Jesus to die and be raised for our forgiveness and for new life. Lord, help us to follow Jesus. Lord, help us to make changes in ways that we need to, even this season of life that we're in, whether as a mom or a dad or a friend, a coworker. How do we need to change our discipleship when it comes to our screens and our social media to bring that into submission to Lordship to you? Lord, help us to watch over our hearts. Lord, help everyone think about this a little bit differently today. And how might I honor you and recognize that I don't want to be shaped in ways that lead me away from life with God, Lord, but empower us to take steps that lead us towards life with you. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.